0: Let me just add my greetings and uh, add another welcome to what's been said. And we are just continuing in worship as the children will continue in worship through opening God's Word and learning in a way that is appropriate for them. I'm going to ask us to open to John chapter 1 today, our text for this morning, John chapter 1. Just to sort of echo what Pastor Joe was saying that, you know, it is easy to come to church and to just sort of go through the motions and uh, mail it in, you walk out the same as when you walked in. I grew up in the uh, Southern Baptist, still a member of a Southern Baptist church and grew up in the deep south and uh, at the end of all these sermons they would give the invitation and they would sing, Just As I Am, that great Billy Graham crusade hymn and they would sing 10,000 verses of Just As I Am and the preacher one week said, we come in here, we sing Just As I Am and everybody seems to be leaving just as they was, you know. And it's really true. Like, I want to be um, uh, just as I am meant to be in you, Father. And so I want to really hear from God today from His Word. And I hope that you do too. So turn with me, not just going through the motions, but as Pastor Joe has exhorted us with expectation that we are going to hear from his witness, in this case, John, in the first chapter. If you had time to turn there, John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is often called the prologue to the Gospel of John. You know, Matthew and Mark and Luke start their Gospels like pretty much, all right, there was this dude, John the Baptist, and he started preaching, and then you're off and running. With Matthew, it's like, you know, here's the genealogy, but we're going. Uh, These Gospels were written very close to when Jesus uh, was alive. John, a few years later, John has a little time to reflect and begins to think about the ministry of Jesus. He begins to think about the whole life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and so he starts, before he just jumps right in with, all right, here's John the Baptist, and here's how everything gets going, John sort of takes a breath and gives us this prologue, this preamble. It's almost like what he's saying is, look, this is epic, and so we're going to need a little bit of background information. So he starts with this epic prologue, and I dare tackle it today. John chapter 1, you ready? We almost need a soundtrack or something. Here we go. (laughs) In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Now, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people, did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, He gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one's coming after me has surpassed me because he has existed before me. Indeed, we've all received grace after grace from his fullness. For although the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. You can see in these verses... And don't worry, I won't try to tackle all of them. We'll just hang out in the first five. Uh, You can see in these verses, John is presenting us with this epic, earth shaking, earth shattering dogma. This is Christian dogma, this is the line in the sand. And here it is. You ready? Jesus Christ is God. Right? That's huge. Jesus Christ is God. Uh, Let me go back and explain what I mean. Look at verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now, now what is that? What's it talking about? The Word. Well, we get a couple clues. In the next verse, the Word is obviously personified because the pronoun switches to he. It's like, in the beginning was the Word. And then in the next verse, he was around since the beginning. So it's obviously talking about some he. And then the mystery is resolved by verse 14. And the Word is became flesh and dwelt among us. And so you're looking here and you see that the word is what John is talking about, Jesus Christ. And that's why in my Bible it's capital W word because it's talking about it's personifying Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? In the beginning was the word. Now you might scratch your head and say, that's an interesting uh, interesting nickname for Jesus Christ. That's an interesting thing that John would hear Uh, use. This uh, Greek word logos carries a lot of different ideas and meanings and we don't want to get too distracted uh, down that road. But the point is simple, I think. It's really a simple point. Why would Jesus be called the Word? To me it's so simple. How how do I, as a human, how do I express my thoughts and intentions? You're not a mind reader. How do you know what's in my heart? Like I come here with this sermon and I want to share it with you. What am I supposed to do? What's the only way I can get it out other than these wild hand motions? That's right, my words. I'm doing it now. Right? I mean, the, the only alternative I could think of was a liturgical dance. And you do not want to see that. <laughs> Joe didn't even look up. I don't blame him. Right? I've got to do words. I need words to express what's my thoughts and intentions. I use this thing called word. Well, we have the words of God. We have the Bible. But what about a full and true revelation? What's the way? How does God express the fullness of his thoughts and intentions? You can't contain it in 66 books. So how would God Almighty speak? How would he reveal? What are the words, if you will, God would use? It's Jesus Christ. That's the full revelation of who God is. And so it's almost like this is his word to the universe of who I am. That's why it's Jesus Christ. He can call him the Word. That's why it makes sense. Jesus Christ is the revelation of the thoughts and intentions of God. Now look, there, You know, there are, um, there are uh, a lot of people in the world, that, like, I, like I said earlier, this is the line in the sand, and I think you'll see that. Look at the second phrase in this verse. And the Word was with God. Now, what does that mean? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Well, that whole in the beginning, I think, is meant to remind us of Genesis 1. I mean, where else in the Bible have we heard in the beginning, right? And it's meant to hearken us back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now John 1. It's like creation, new creation. Creation, recreation. And he's saying in the beginning, there was God. But this, in the beginning, John says, in the beginning was the Word. In other words, Jesus isn't like the firstborn over creation. Jesus was with God in the beginning. The Word was with God. Think about that. Think about the implications of that. That even before there was a world, there was the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That also helped wraps up an ancient mystery in Genesis chapter 1, where the Bible says, let us Make man in our own image. And you may scratch your head. Why, what is this? The royal we. Let us make man in our own image. Because the word was with God. That there was a triune God in the very beginning. On top of all that, the, the idea of the word. Uh, last thing I'll say in, about the, that, that part In Genesis 1, in the beginning God creates the heavens and the earth. How does he create? How else do we see the word in the beginning? We see in Genesis 1, in the beginning God creates the heavens and the earth, and the earth was dark and formless, you know, it was void and waste, and the spirit of God was hovering over the deep, right? And then what happens? There's God the Father and God the Spirit, but... But where is this? Uh, then what happens next? It doesn't say God made all these things. It doesn't say God designed everything. It's not like He made stars and He made light and He made water. What happens next? God did what? He didn't make it. He spoke it. That's right. And God spoke or spake. And God said what? Words. Let there be light. You see, there was light. So in that sense, in the beginning, we see God the Father, God the Son. God the Spirit, God the Son, these, this idea of word. He was with God. And, uh, last, and the word was with God, and here it is. And you know, already people are seeing if in the beginning was Jesus, if he is preexistent of all humanity, then that's divine. And to say the word was with God, John just clears up what everybody suspects. And here we go, and the word was God. Look, this is the line in the sand. I mean, this is a huge statement. All around the world right now, there are religious groups, and we label them radical. We label these radical religious groups that believe you should be shot and killed. You should be issued a death threat where you get like a 40-day warning, a fatwa, to, to, to never say this again because it's blasphemy if you believe that Jesus Christ is God. We call these groups radical, but my point today is that's a radical thing to believe. To say, Jesus Christ is God. No wonder the world is up in arms over this. Think about it. There is no other religion in the world, from Jews to Jehovah's Witness, from Muslims to Mormons. This is a clear distinguishing point for Christianity, right? Uh, Where I live in Queens, there are people from all over the world. Every kind of uh, 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 tribe, tongue, uh, nation, and race. And all kinds of religions. And we work with uh, so many different folks through our uh, English as a second language ministry and all these things. There are a lot of ways where there's common ground. Did you know that? There are a lot of things. There's a lot of common ground that a Christian has with a Muslim and certainly that a Jew has with a Christian, so forth and so on. There are, however, clear points of distinction. And this is one. Only a Christian would utter these words, Jesus Christ is God. Like, to worship Jesus is okay. It's not blasphemy because he's God. That's radical. That's radical. A Muslim would say there is no God but Allah and Muhammad his prophet. But even Muhammad his prophet is not like co-eternal with God, they would say, right? A Jew would say that, you know, worship the Lord, Yahweh, alone and him alone should you serve. A Jehovah Witness would have to go so far as to change this verse altogether. You know, if you look in a Jehovah Witness authorized Bible, it says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Because they have to make something up, some reason why this doesn't can't possibly mean what it clearly says—that the word was God it means He's co-eternal. It means there was never a time when Jesus was not. Look at verse two. He was with God in the beginning. There was never a time when uh, He is eternally begotten of the Father. If I were to light this. You know, candle right here, you would say, you know, which came first, the flame or the light from the flame that emanates, or the the light or the heat? You would say, I don't know, the the, the flame begets the light. It's sort of part and parcel, the same package. Exactly, there was never a moment where there was light without heat. It's eternally begetting. Verse 3 says, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that's been created. That goes back to what I said about creation. In a sense, uh, Colossians 1 says, all things were created by Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. And the reason that makes sense is because God didn't just make these things, he spoke them into being. In other words, Jesus is the agent of God's creation. It's it's perfectly fine to say that Jesus created everything you see, that Jesus is who made the light, so forth. Co-eternal, co-creator with God, In verse 4, life was in him, and that life was the light of men. What do you think that verse means? Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That is one of those verses that, to me, uh, when I was preparing this message, I thought, oh, that one's easy. Life is in him, and that life is the light of men. And then you spend about five minutes with it, and you're like, I have no idea what that means. You know what I mean? It, like, looks so simple on the surface. Life was in him. What do you mean life was in our life, his life, all of life, and that life was the light of men? This is the best I can do. This is what I've come up with. I believe that this verse is a poetic way of saying something that we all intuitively get, but very few of us, if any of us, I know I can't, uh, can explain. Let me illustrate. I know what it means to be alive. Dog on it. <laughs> Like, I know, I know, right? I know what it means to be alive. I know that I have life, and this wooden podium, this pulpit, does not have life. I know that for a fact. Like, I'm alive, and this isn't. Now, we both can make noises. <laughs> you know, there's a lot that's similar about us, right? <laughs> sort of pasty, right? But beyond that, that right? How, how is, what? Fundamentally, you tell me, what this has molecules, right? What makes me alive and this not alive? It's a, a simple question that became quite complex, and it actually became complex very recently. Not, But a few days ago, uh, my family, uh, Jackie, and we loaded up Katie, who's three, and Carson, who just turned one, into the car, and we uh, drove to get our Christmas tree. Okay? And uh, we pull up and uh, we go, and we're going to pick out a live tree. And uh, you know, they look so small in the lot. And then in your apartment, you're like, what? (laughs) But anyway, uh, we pick out, we're going to get a live Christmas tree. That's what we always want to do. We want to get a live tree. And so, which is interesting because they're in fact dead by the time you. It doesn't matter. So uh, we're telling Katie that we want to teach her about responsibility, we want to give her a little job, and so we, we put this monster tree in there, and as, you know, I'm unloading it and getting it all ready, we explain to her, this is very important, Katie, you're going to need to water this tree, okay, we're going to make that your job, don't let this tree die on your watch, kid, like, water this tree, learn responsibility, you know, um, you're going to water it, and she says, like, so many uh, three-year-olds who have gone before her, uh, like, all three-year-olds throughout time and history, uh, she said, Why? (laughs) Why? And so uh, I'll play along. I'll bite. Uh, Well, the reason you want to do this, Katie, is, uh, you know, because she's thinking, why water a tree? Trees are humongous. I've never seen anybody water a tree. And explain to her, you know, even though they're huge, trees are actually plants. And in the same way you water a plant, you know how you have to water the house plants? Yeah, yeah, because she does that. You have to water this tree. And she says, but Daddy, why is a tree a plant? So I said, well, you see, it goes, uh, kingdom phylum class. I said, well, sweetheart, you know, these are are living things. And the point I'm making is that a tree is like a plant. I'm still doing pretty good, I think. A tree is like a plant in that they're both living things. And living things like this are going to need water because it's alive. And then she hits me with this one. Daddy, what makes a plant alive? Now, while I'm under the tree, I'm having this met- metaphysical physics debate, when, right? That's when it always happens. And I look at her, and I'm like, by now a little frustrated, not going to lie. A plant is alive <laughs> because photosynthesis. I don't know. Like You know that feeling? Ask your mother. <laughs> I have no idea. To this moment right now, I really, I don't know. (laughs) Turns out I'm not alone. There's an entire ethical, there is, you can study your entire, you can get a PhD in the bioethics of answering the simple question, what defines life? What makes something alive or not? And it's, it's, when you, seriously, when you begin, and yet we all know, we all know what it means to be alive, and yet we don't. Well, is it brain activity? I mean, when does a person go from life, 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 not alive? Is it brain activity when that ceases? That can't be, we've all heard of coma patients that come out. We've all been on the subway train at Monday morning. (laughs) I mean, we're all alive, but there's no brain function happening. None. Right? So what makes... What makes, not, not in my brain, maybe in your, what makes us alive? Is it when your heart stops pumping suddenly? No, we all get that. Th- th- it's possible your heart can be restarted. We all know people who have survived heart attacks. So that's not a definitively thing. Well, is it your lungs stop breathing? I mean, we could go on and on and on. You get what I'm saying? What is it? What is that thing that's life? It's like there's, sudden, there's light and animation in me, and then the light goes out. What is it? John chapter 1, verse 4 is saying, hey, you know that thing that you know but you can't explain? It's him. It's Jesus. That source of life that everybody in here gets it, that certain things have life and that certain things don't have life, he says, he is the source of all that. It's him. And I believe quite literally what the Apostle Paul says in Acts. In him we live and move and have our being. What about Colossians, right, that in him are all things, and all things hold together in him. I happen to believe literally that if Jesus were to, for one minute, release his grip on the world, my very molecules would float apart, that I exist by his will, by his grace. In him is life, and that life is the light of men. Now, uh, there's, a, there's a big sermon right there that I won't preach, but man, I could give you the three points in a poem right now. Uh. Think about what that means. If Jesus is the source of all life, that means there's no life apart from him. That means that his life is infinite. And when Jesus said everlasting life, it's not just time, it's scope. Uh, Look, if you took all the death that ever was and you set it next to life, this verse is saying death would barely fill a cup. Eternal life. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then the end of that sermon would be, so why, oh why, do we look for life in anything other than Jesus? Why, oh why, are we seeking life? Why would we seek life anywhere but in him? Why would we look for life in money or in that, that next relationship or, or in power or in a, a better job or whatever? Why can we, these are all fine things, they're good, no problem. But why would we make them idols? Why would we give them ultimacy? Why would we seek life from something that's not him? Uh, In sum, you get what I'm saying, Jesus was not just a really good man, not just even a perfect man, not even the the, the first creation that was ever made and then he designed everything else. He was never created. He is eternal. He is God. To worship Jesus is fine. Titus 2.13 says it this way, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. The New Testament had no problem calling Jesus God. Thomas, remember the end of the Gospel of John. Thomas looks at him, he feels the nail scars in his hand and the the wound in his side. And he looks at him and he says what? My Lord and my God. John wants you to read the rest of his Gospel through the lens of this verse. He wants you to read the rest of the Gospel in light of this shocking truth that Jesus is God. As you read the rest of the book of John, the deeds and words of Jesus are the very deeds and words of God. The entire gospel depends on this. If not, the whole gospel, John, Jesus himself, and all of us who profess faith in Jesus, we are all, in fact, blasphemers, worthy of hell, if this truth is not true, that Jesus Christ is God. It is a dividing dogma. It is Christian Dogma. This is foundational. To, to confess that Jesus Christ is God. You know, there's a lot of things that there's like, uh, I don't know, I'll just be honest with you. There's some, there's some wiggle room, you know. Uh, I, you know, I, I talk about it like this, especially with the young seminary students. You know, seminary students, I've been there. That's a, that's a weird process because you suddenly know everything, you know, and then you realize maybe not. Uh, 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 I, I talk about it this way. Dogma, doctrine, and beliefs. There's dogma. Jesus Christ is God. The resurrection happened. This is stuff where it's like, you know, this, this defines you as... If you don't believe these things, you can't call yourself a Christian by any stretch of the imagination. If you don't have... I mean, these are this is dogma. Then on top of dogma is doctrine. It's not, important. It's not as important as dogma in this sense. It matters, and I believe it very strongly. I, I believe doctrine. It's based on the Word of God. But I don't think that somebody who differs in a particular doctrine, I don't think that they're somehow not Christian or something like that. Th- does that make sense? So an example of dogma is... Jesus Christ is God. An example of doctrine, it would be maybe adult baptism, water baptism versus infant baptism. I believe the scriptures are very clear. Adult baptism, that's what the Bible teaches. That's a doctrine. That might lead you to change denominations, that might lead you to change churches. I mean, you should feel strongly about that. But because I believe in adult baptism, that's what the Bible teaches. It doesn't mean that I think that somebody who's, you know, a Presbyterian, that somehow they're not Christian or that that excludes them immediately. Does that make sense? And then there's beliefs. And beliefs are things that even in the same church, you may have all uh, kinds. Beliefs are things like, um, uh, do you think that uh, uh, Jesus is going to come before the millennium and after the rapture? Or do you think he's going to be pre-trib, post-millennial? Or are you a millennial? No millennium whatsoever. You know, (laughs) right? These are things that also important, right, also important, but uh, you don't even need to change the denominations or churches because you're going to have a differing of it. But they're not dogma. And the problem, of course, when people become dogmatic, what we mean by that is they make the whole thing dogma. You know? Oh, you go to the church that believes you should have stained glass. I believe you should have clear glass or whatever. You know, right? You become dogmatic when you make the whole thing dogma. It's okay to be dogmatic about this dogma, though. Jesus Christ is God. You understand? I will be dogmatic because this, to me, is dogma. Having said all that, the point of the sermon is not to give you a dogma checkup. Okay, if we stopped right there, so far what I've said is, uh, uh, here is the foundational Christian dogma. It's it's not like the point of the sermon is. uh, Everybody got that right? Everybody needs to get their dogma correct. Okay, so let's get this in line. It's not as if it's not. It's like God is in heaven with his clipboard, going, "All right, city on a hill, checkup time." Who of you can recite the Chalcedonian Creed, you know, that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man, without distinction, without confusion? Uh, obviously, I can't, so scratch But You, you get what I'm saying, right? Uh, uh, you understand? It's not, it's not a, a theology checkup, right? It's not, it's not even fun fact. Jesus Christ is God. Now, uh, take that and make sure that you uh, uh, always know that and always check that out. What I want to show you is more than that. What I want to show you is this. The fact that Jesus is God. So what? And the fact that Jesus is God is not just, oh, that's a good thing for Christians to believe. Or, yeah, that's a good thing to have right. Listen, the fact that Jesus is God is the singular hope for all mankind. That's what this sermon's about. If John 1.1 is true, and I'm preaching it because it is, it means that it's the only hope for all mankind. It's the single hope for the world. And uh, we find it in verse 5. And we'll close with verse 5. That light shines in the darkness. Yet the darkness did not overcome it. The darkness couldn't comprehend it. The darkness could not apprehend it. The darkness could not overcome this light that's shining in the darkness. Uh, Here's what I mean. Our fallen world, our broken world... And that's another thing that's different about Christians. We believe in a fallen and broken world. We believe that the world cannot heal itself. In this way... Christians, I believe, are aided. What I mean is, there's a lot of doctrines that I find it very hard as a Christian to uh, convince people of. Oh, things like, um, hey, you know, I really believe that Jesus turned water into wine. I really believe that, you know? Uh, I really believe that he, uh, there were 5,000 people seated there and there was like five loaves of bread and two fish. I believe he actually changed the molecular structure of that to make it more because he created bread and fish in the beginning. Why can't he recreate it? Hello, he's the creator. I believe he did that and he fed all those people. I literally believed he walked on water, right? Uh, Sometimes it's hard to believe that because people will say, yeah, but back then they were so incredulous. They would believe anything, which is like, that's so arrogant. Like, well, we're obviously smarter than them because they were earlier in time chronological bigots, right? That's what they are. They're just, because people existed earlier, they were obviously stupid, right? Isn't that what all that is? A chronological bias toward, right? I um, uh, started ranting and forgot where I was going with all that. Right, so there are things that are difficult to convince, right? But there are other doctrines that I find that Christianity, it's very easy and it's getting easier every day. And the doctrine that's getting easier and easier every day is you, we live in a fallen world that is past the point and has never been at the point of being able to heal itself. Things are getting worse and worse and spiraling out of control. Because that, you not only get the scriptures, you get the newspaper. And it helps you. And people realize every day as they look outside at the world and as they look inside their own heart, as the Holy Spirit begins to convict them, they realize my life is spiraling out of control and things are getting worse and worse every day. Does that make sense? I am aided, if you will. I am helped by the fact that things are spiraling out of control. So, uh, Christians believe that. Uh, that puts us in a real catch-22. Uh, does everyone remember from your high school literature class Joseph Heller's classic? Does everyone remember reading Catch-22? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> does everyone reme- remember reading the Cliffs Notes to Joseph Heller's classic? <laughs> yeah, Catch-22. <laughs> uh, the point is simple: uh, in this novel, the protagonist is uh, at World War II fighting these uh, uh, in fighter jets and he's fighting on these really uh, crazy dangerous um, fighter jet missions and uh, he realizes he's got to get out of this because the probability is every time he goes out on one of these missions he's gonna be shot down and and killed and so he, he has to think of a way to get out and somebody says you know the army will let you out of these missions you can if you if you're insane if you can show that you're crazy you're insane and you're not rational they'll let you out And so he thinks, that's what I'll do. So he goes to the army psychologist uh, to get him to prove that he's insane. And the guy says, why are you trying to prove that you're insane? And he says, well, uh, because I I don't want to fly on these missions. uh, They're going to kill me. And he says, well, anyone who is smart enough to realize these missions are going to kill him and thus prove himself insane is clearly sane. (laughs) Guys, like, all right? There's no way out. It's a paradox of choice. Um, a modern illustration that's sort of funny is my internet went out a few years ago, and so I called tech support, and after minutes turn into hours, and you know, over and over on hold, they're like, your call is very important to us. And I'm going, I don't believe your words. I... <laughs> after hours go by, uh, the lady tells me, sir, all of this could avoid it. All these answers about your internet being out, all of these answers are available on our website. Hi, I'm Earth. Have we met? Are we, right? Like, what? Uh, a a not-so-funny example that many of you may have experienced, and it, it's, it's funny maybe after you're, after you're on the other side of it, but it's not funny when you're going through it, is that you go to apply for a job, and they say, we like you. You've got a lot of potential, and we want you to have this job, but I'm sorry. You'll have to come back when you have, what? More experience. And so you say, well, oh, man. How do I get experience? Well, sir, you'll need to apply for a job. (laughs) Seems to me we could fast track this whole thing and just like give me the job now. like, Right? Catch 22. A no win situation. All right? The Bible teaches that's our human condition. Here it is. Paradox. The human condition is so bad that the only hope we have would be a transcendent, Holy, consuming, fire God who could consume the whole thing and start over. The catch-22. A God who is holy and all-consuming would destroy everyone, period. That's a problem. Uh, A God who is so holy and so transcendent that he could save in the way we need saving would consume us in the process. A man, okay, so maybe we need a man, maybe we need a a human, a man or a woman, a a prophet or something, a Messiah. Uh, uh, If they were just a person, they could reveal to us God's word and plan of salvation, but then the catch would be they wouldn't have then the power to actually do the saving, you see? We could relate to a man, but it doesn't help us, and God could help us, but we can't relate to him. Does that make sense? If the whole world goes dark, there's no power anywhere, and suddenly someone discovers Finally, a solution. We've used up all our fossil fuels. You know, this would be a great uh, idea for a series on NBC or something, right? Uh, uh, And it's apocalyptic. There's no power anywhere. And someone discovers there's a brand new element, plutonium, uranium-5, you know, whatever. And uh, 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 the only catch is this. It has the nuclear capacity. It has the power. With one little uh, atom, it can power the whole world. But it's so unstable and so powerful that it would consume anyone who got within 10 miles of it. So it's like, yeah, there's this great solution. Oh, but it's, you know you can't have it. Meanwhile, the things that you can get near will not power the whole world. Does everybody understand the situation that we're in? This world, humanity, you and me, we need a human to be our prophet, priest, and king. We need a person who can real, rule, reveal, and redeem. Yet these people cannot save. Only God with the all-consuming, omnipotent power can save. If God is holy and just, he will not just sweep sin under the rug. He's got to deal with it. That means there must be wrath upon the offended humanity. And so only a man, only a person, could represent us and be our substitute before a holy God. Only a person could be our atoning sacrifice. Yet if he's only a person, he could not absorb the wrath of God. For that we would need God. So when you agree with the Bible that Jesus Christ is God, it's not just good doctrine, it's not just difference from other religions. This is the difference between hope for all humanity and eternal hell for all humanity. That Jesus was fully man, capable of being our atoning sacrifice and fully God. Fully mighty to save. It's only the God-man that can save us. Just half of the equation, or that's not even right. Just 100% of the full nature leaves us in a catch-22 to die in our sin. The light is shining in the darkness. And the darkness didn't overcome it. At the end of a sermon, you try to help people apply this. And I want you to think about that verse and meditate on it all week. The light is shining in the darkness darkness couldn't overcome it this verse is about a lot of things maybe it's about creation what was the very first thing let there be light and here he's been talking about creation he's talking about the beginning he starts the whole thing within the beginning maybe he's talking about creation and do you know what happened in creation this is the spirit was hovering over the deep and the, the American the old uh, what is it like the American standard version this is an old literal translation it says the earth the the the, the, the land whatever that was being hovered over it was waste and void good Uh, dark and formless I think mine says but I like waste and void the idea of chaos there was nothing and from all that nothing ex nihilo is the Latin phrase out of nothing God spoke and there was light and there was order as he separated light from day I mean darkness from night right now uh, that whole idea of creating out of chaos what's the Bible say the light is shining in the darkness and when I talk about waste and void and formless and without order and total chaos for some of you I've just described your week so what you need to hear from John chapter 1 verse 5 is this he is still creating out of chaos he's still creating out of chaos out of nothing you see, I have nothing to bring God he creates out of nothing and recreates out of nothing and you know it, it's funny it's like uh, That light is still shining in the darkness of your world. Others of you would say, no, 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 I I get it, man. I I get it. Like, that's not my week. I'm not total chaos. I sort of, I know who I am, like Joe was talking about earlier. You know, I I get it. I I know. But some of you are dreading going back to your work tomorrow, right? Some of you, you know, when it comes to vocation, you need need John 1, 5. This whole idea of creation. Do you realize that if Christ is in you, then you too are a co-creator. You too are meant to be an agent of creation in this world? Why? Because the light is shining in the darkness. It's shining through you, Christian. Think about that for a second. Your vocation. Make something of this world. Jesus is on a mission to recreate this place. We are to join him in that mission. Have you thought about your vocation? My favorite uh, Christian musician, Andrew Peterson, thought about that and he wrote this song uh, called Let There Be Light about... about the whole idea of creating out of nothing. And he got this idea in his head that when a musician writes a song and creates something, they sort of create what God has given them, and they make it out of nothing. And uh, he's talking about musicians, and he said, uh, this is the lyric, when the mandolin sang like a bird on the wing in the hands of Bill Monroe, when Chet played guitar like a walk in the park, like a prodigal son coming home. Talking about musicians, right? They spoke into being the work of their hands from the void of the wire and the wood. They sang and they played, they stood on that stage, and they said that it was good. They said, let there be light, let there be love, let there be light, let there be love, let there be music. Now, you may not be a musician. You may be a teacher, let's say. Some of you will go tomorrow to your school, you will punch the time clock, you will just pray to get through, oh, when will this end, these little minions of the devil, right? Right? Or you could go tomorrow and you could say, out of nothing, from what God has given me and from how I've been trained, kids, let there be math. Let there be fractions. And declare that it was good. Uh, Two-thirds good. It's irreducible. Or whatever. Right? Right? A whole new way. Why? Because the light's shining in the darkness. And no amount of darkness can overcome it. No amount of ignorance can overcome it. Do any of you have a friend who desperately needs the word of God? They will not believe. It's like you're banging your head against a wall. They're in darkness. The light is still shining in the darkness. No amount of ignorance can overcome it. No amount of lack of faith can overcome it. The light is shining in the darkness. It's about creation. It's about revelation. Hey, this is also about sin in your life. Some of you have sin in your life, and you think it's so dark. There's so much darkness. The light is still shining in the darkness. And no amount of darkness can overcome it. You came in thinking you had great sin in your life, but this, this, the light is shining in the darkness. Oh, I get when we sin. I get it. We actually prefer darkness. That's why when you're in real deep in sin, you actually don't want to come to church. Church is the place you need to be, and it's the last place you want to go. John, Jesus says in John 3, that same chapter uh, Pastor Joe was reading from, he says that uh, actually uh, men, light came into the world, but men actually uh, preferred the darkness because their deeds were evil, right? Uh, What about confessing your sins to him today? Because the light shines in the darkness. And all that darkness cannot overcome it. All over the world. It doesn't matter your religious background. It doesn't matter your ethnicity, your language, or your creed. Jesus will forgive your sins. King David was a man who knew a thing or two about having sins forgiven. And in Psalm 139, he says this. Surely the darkness. He says, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will become night. He says, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night will shine like the day. Because darkness is as light to you. If you are not down with the ancient poet King David, then uh, perhaps you could uh, appreciate a modern poet, hip-hop artist Lecrae, who put it this way, salvation ain't a feeling, little homie, it's a positioning. (laughs) Great sinner's sin is great, but the great savior is omnipotent. If you'll quit dissing him, you ain't got no sins he can't forgive. What? (laughs) I love sort of a big big fan now i I grant that there's a double negative there you ain't got no sins but the theology is rock solid what sin do you have that he can't forgive and even if your sins you know for some people this whole idea of darkness it uh you're in the grave and uh death i wonder if in a way uh john couldn't help himself and he was writing here about the resurrection of jesus the light is shining in the darkness And the darkness could not overcome it. Isn't that something? Like that's the first time we see the present tense in the gospel of John. Uh, In the beginning was the word. The word was back then. The word used to. Everything's used to. Was. Back then. Used to. Used to happen. Word did this. Past tense. And then suddenly is shining. Now you tell me what's happening there. Why all of a sudden is shining? Because when John is writing this gospel, and it's the same truth today, uh, Jesus is alive. He's alive. And John is writing this whole thing like, yeah, this is what he did. You know, the light, he was around with God in the very beginning. And then the light is shining in the darkness. It's almost like John is giving away the ending of the story, you know. It's like, I know you're about to read my whole gospel, he's saying, but he can't help himself. He's like, just so you know, uh, it ends and the hero of this story is still alive. Uh, I didn't see the fox series 24 for years it was like in season seven and my wife and i were like let's go back and watch season one let me tell you no matter what happened to jack bauer i knew he was gonna live because they made six six more seasons you know what i'm saying like i knew it right that's 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 what john's saying no matter what you see jesus go through and you're you're even gonna see you're gonna be like how in the world he's in the grave he lives he lives why because because he's here the light is still shining in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it the darkness could not overcome it listen there uh for anybody walking in the dark path listen there is there's an end to the darkness like here's what i mean when it comes to darkness and light there is such a thing as terminal darkness it can only get so dark i've seen terminal darkness i'm from kentucky we have the largest underground cave network in the world fun fact they took us on a field trip to mammoth cave and uh, put us in the darkest part of this cave and then uh, said, hey kids, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to show you what true darkness is. And they turn off the lights inside of the heart of Mammoth Cave. And you, I mean, nothing. But here's the point. That's as dark as dark can get and can't get any darker. <laughs> when you're in the middle of darkness, you think it's going to get darker and darker and darker. There's an end to the darkness. You see, it, it can get terminally dark, but no more. Death is as dark as it gets. But light, light, with but a candle, you could illuminate the whole cave. And it's not like darkness can be like, oh yeah, well, we'll be extra dark and we'll snuff you out. The darker it gets, the more it heightens the illumination of the candle. And light, oh, light, well, the, 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 there's there's no limit to light. These projectors are about 3000 lumens. The sun is a more. Now you tell me, what's the glory of the Lord? I mean, we got darkness in us that feels infinite. We have an infinite savior. You say, yeah, but Tom, I get what you're saying. A, a little candle could light up a small space, but what if there's so much darkness? What if there's darkness of the whole world? Then Jesus said, I am the light of the world. See? So our response is not just a dogma checkup. Our response is to worship him as God today. Let us come before the table. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Let's go to him as the living God and respond I'm going to give you a moment just to ponder and consider I would ask at this time the ushers to begin quietly and reverently making their uh, way of preparing the table just take a moment and respond which of these applications do you need to hear that he is still the creator do you need to breathe new life in what you do every day? do you need to be that light shining in the darkness Or revelation, do you need deeper revelation, understanding of him? Do you need your friends that don't know him for this to be revealed? Do you need to pray, Jesus, you're the light of the world, shine. You're shining in the darkness, shine in their darkness. Do you need to hear about overcoming sin? Do you need to hear the good news that you ain't got no sins, he can't forgive this morning. That the light is still shining in that darkness, in moral darkness, the light is shining. Or do you need to hear that even in the grave, he has resurrection power? What is the application for you today from the word of God? How do you need to respond to him? Jesus, we confess by faith that you are our Lord and our God. And, Father, uh, forgive us when we, have, as a community of believers, forgive us when we have uh, not recognized your full deity. And forgive us when we have not recognized your full humanity. And keep us, O oh God, in the center, in the palm of your hand, in the center of that great truth. Thank you, God. This is more than just good dogma. It's good news. Thank you, Lord, that you are fully God and fully man and thus fully capable to save, to bear the sacrifice of sins, punishment, to save sinful men and women, to redeem this world. Fathers, we come now to the great reminder of your sacrifice. Draw our hearts to believe in you, help us in our unbelief, and may we come humbly coming before a God who would give up his life for us. Thank you, Father. Stir in us a deeper love for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In like manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All things have been prepared by our good ushers, and so uh, they'll lead you, just follow their instructions to come reverently and uh, partake of this Supper of Remembrance.